system is so defective and unfair and unjust as it operates under the banner of justice. And we need to amplify voices and we need more firefighters coming to put out this blaze. And I hope the podcast has served to help support that movement. My name is Thad Baraday. In 2018, I went to federal prison. On Inauguration Day 2021, I received a presidential pardon from Donald Trump. I have experienced firsthand the problems of our broken criminal justice system. My mission now is to help find solutions to those problems. Welcome to Redemption Radio. Today's episode of Redemption Radio is the wrap-up of season one. It's been a remarkable season, and I'm really thrilled to be joined by my friend, Evan Smith. Evan is the executive director of a ministry that has been very important in my journey, Love, Inc., which stands for Love in the Name of Christ. It's housed in my church. So I'm really grateful, Evan, that you've joined today and are serving as the questioner for this special season wrap-up. I'm excited to be here, Thad, especially as you come to the end of what's been a really, really awesome first season on your podcast. Thank you. It has been a learning journey, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, I mean, the tables are turning here, Thad, so now you're in the hot seat. (laughs) I'm a little uncomfortable by this, to be quite honest, so uh, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll pull it off here. Which is a really healthy place for for you to be in. So you will pull it off. There's no uh, question about that. But yeah, let's get this going. So uh, one of the first things that I'm wondering, and I know this is particularly hard, no matter the the venue or the thing that's being questioned, but of the episodes that you did this season, does any stand out? What's, What's your favorite? If you had to pick, what was your favorite episode from this first season? Uh, You know, I have four kids and that's like asking me to choose my favorite child. So it's really unfair, but I am extremely proud of all the guests who appeared this season. And I love the work that we created together. One of the best things about doing the podcast was gaining access to the guests, the voices and experience and expertise and leadership that they bring. And I think that all of the guests did an amazing job and it was really, really fun to sit down and talk with them. So I would say that episode number one with Robert Blunt from Abe Brown Ministries was intentional because Abe Brown is a roll-up-the-sleeves ministry that is getting the job done on the ground every day with people coming out of the system, trying to regain their lives, trying to return to community, and trying to seek redemption. And it is Redemption Radio after all, so I very intentionally kicked off with Robert because I am so impressed and inspired and grateful for the work that A. Brown Ministries is doing in our community. Um, At the other end of the season, there were really three episodes that were designed to be more personal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was punctuated. There was a great episode, I hope nobody missed, with uh, Morgan Godwin and Charles Neal that was also incredible. But there were three episodes around that same time with my dear friend, Ray Coker, who drove and dropped me to prison. That's a really good one. So that was very personal and kind of a little different take on um, what we had experienced together. 
And then wrapping up with my pastor, Justin LaRosa from the Portico Church, who just said some things that really stuck out to me. He said, I don't deserve to be on your redemption radio, and I don't deserve to be speaking to community, to a congregation as a Methodist minister. And it's just the humility and the level of authenticity that you find in these inspirational leaders in our community. It just, it blows me away and it really inspires me to keep going. Because when I look at Justin, I think if there's anyone who deserves to lead us, it's him. And it's so remarkable that he doesn't think so. And and um, the season finale was really with my yoga instructor, Annette Scott, who's, you know, I think she described herself as a witchy or keeper of time. So that was a, that was a little more, you know, yoga, funky woo-woo, which might not make sense in a podcast about criminal justice reform. But as I put in the show notes, you know, what does yoga have to do with criminal justice reform? And the answer is everything. Sure. Because the journey of redemption and the journey of criminal justice reform is one of finding oneself. And ultimately, as individuals, we all have to learn that this is an inside job. Mm-hmm. And it's work that we do that's inner work. And that's really where the, the difficult uh, process happens. So I'm grateful to Annette for her role in my life and teaching me that personally and sharing it with all of us. That was a great episode. So you mentioned the Ray Coker episode, which was a really, really good one because y'all have such a, a powerful friendship and he's been a part of the journey in such a impactful way. And so I'm just, I'm wondering then, thinking back to that drive up to South Georgia, and then you just went through the list of some pretty, you know, amazing folks that you had on Redemption uh, Radio. but is it a bit surreal? I mean, to think back of where you were then with Ray on the way to Jessup, and then now you're sitting across from, say, you know, Chief O'Connor. Um, how, how is that for you? So the opportunity to sit across the table and, and gain access to leaders in our community, uh, like Andrew Warren, like Jeff Brandeis, like Fentress Driscoll, like Chief O'Connor, is just an amazing opportunity for a returning citizen. I'm just a guy who screwed up and went to jail and came back and learned a few things. And now to be able to talk to community leaders in that personal way and seek out their guidance and expertise not only for my own journey, but for our whole community and for the community of advocates who are working on criminal justice reform. I think it's been a remarkable thing and I hope it's been helpful. Well, I mean, from from me to you, it has been really, really helpful. Um, So uh, that was a good start. That was a really, really good start, Dad. Um, Let's see if we can keep this rolling uh, with the momentum. So uh, then, you know, you did list out a lot of the amazing guests that you had. Um, So uh, what guests did you, do you think that you learned the most from? Um, you know, who, who taught you things that you may not have already known? Well, I started by thinking about the legislative process and got some amazing access to Florida legislators. I, I had Fentress Driscoll, who's now the Democratic Caucus leader uh, in the House of Representatives. I had Andrew Learned, who is in the most purple district in the state of Florida, running for re-election now. I hope he will be reelected because although he's not my party, he's a real community 
minded person who is committed to the center and that's where I live. And it's a, it's actually a pretty difficult place to sustain as evidenced by Jeff Brandeis and his career, because he has been known as a maverick and the leading reformer in the area of criminal justice reform in Florida for 12 years. So losing his leadership and experience, and I'm not sure we're going to completely lose it because you know, there's life sure. after the legislature and he will go on to, uh, to influence the process in various ways. But, you know, his leadership in Tallahassee, in our state capital, has been very, very helpful over the past 12 years. And yet there is so much more work to do. So hearing him say that the carceral system in our state is like a burning building and he's views himself as a firefighter coming into the, the scene of the, of the crisis. And yet every room in the building is on fire. The whole thing's going up in flames. And the, in, instead of just hosing water, the first thing he can do is call for help among other firefighters. And, and there are many, and I don't want to take anything away from them, but they're not enough. And that's the important message and the takeaway is this work is hard. There is so much more work to be done. The system is so defective and unfair and unjust as it operates under the banner of justice. And we need to amplify voices and we need more firefighters coming to put out this blaze. And I hope the podcast has served to help support that movement. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a particularly um, powerful illustration that he had because, um, yeah, I mean, I think some of this just comes down to and, and probably somebody in your position is wh where do you start? What do you do? Do you grab a hose? Do you, you know, uh, uh, call other firefighters? Um, and so that's a big question when you're in this type of when you're in this type of struggle. And my approach to that, Evan, has been wanting to amplify voices of others. And that's sure. really the the thesis behind the podcast itself. I I'm aware that I'm a newcomer to this field and that there are so many others who've been working on it consistently longer, probably with greater levels of dedication, certainly with greater levels of expertise and have really made meaningful difference and meaningful change. And so as a newcomer, I don't want to suppose that I have all the answers or, or know how to get the job done. In fact, what I tried to document in the journey of Redemption Radio is my own learning experience as I move through the system and grow in my own advocacy work to gain insight, guidance, and direction from those who've come before me. Yeah, I mean, but there's something really important about um, being a newcomer because you can bring um, new energy, new insight, new commitment. And as long as your intentions are, are uh, lining up with the overall good, um, it's a really important person to be. Um, so, yeah, I commend you for that. Um, so, you know, you've spoken about your redemption journey. Um, how how this podcast help you along that journey? Um, you know, how did you, as someone who's on that journey of redemption, how did you change through this podcast? Well, so there's a lot in there. It's really been defining and impactful is the short answer. There were a number of different 
ways in which I tried to contribute over the last year and a half. I contribute through grassroots organization and advocacy right here in the Tampa Bay area in my own community. That's a, that's a big part of it. I've um, made efforts to go up to our state capital in Tallahassee and meet with legislators and experience that uh, from the standpoint of an advocate and get engaged as I can. There are many, many you know, groups and interest groups and organizations that do that work and, and do it you know, with more impact than I'm able to have as an individual, but I've tried to put my oar in the water and at least you know, be present and, and be a witness and report on what I've seen. I've also been blogging, doing some writing. I'd like to do more of that, frankly, because the podcasts seem to take up a lot of the creative energy. They say that podcasts are long form communication. And in this internet world of social media and TikToks and YouTube and sound bites, people scrolling and swiping, it seems that we are reluctant to take the time to drill down on the issues. And the issues of criminal justice reform in particular are sufficiently complicated that you need to take that time. So the podcast, I think, has given me the opportunity and hopefully our guests and our audience the opportunity to drill down on some of these issues that are challenging, be more informed, be more educated, be more thoughtful and mindful about the issues, and then start to think about ways that they can get plugged in and get involved to make a difference. So that's sort of been what it's all about. Now, I didn't answer the question of how it changed me. Um, (laughs) It's a profound change. Um, I've learned so much through this experience. And honestly, I'm not certain what comes next for me. I hope to be back with season two. Uh And so I'll say that that's a when, not an if, but putting together a podcast is a lot of work. I've had some help and expertise along the way, and I'm grateful for, you know, the small team that's been behind me that's helped make this happen. But for the most part, I feel like a one man band and it's, it's, it's a lot of uh, energy and effort. So I need a little time to recharge and reflect and figure out what comes next. I hope to be doing that in the month of August. I'm also finishing my final tour of duty as a baseball dad, taking my son around playing travel baseball. So that's very exciting. I want to make sure that I have the space and availability to be fully present for that. He's been playing baseball since he was eight years old. And I'm very, very grateful that I get to experience, you know, this chapter and his journey as he works toward uh, possibly being recruited into college baseball. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot going on and a lot of opportunity in the future. And I'm not 100% certain where the future is going to take me, but I I am committed to continuing this work and amplifying voices and being a part of the solution. Well, do you you like the mystery, the unknown, Thad? Is that, are you, does that align with your personality? Evan, you are sounding very much like my pastor because that is a question that uh, Justin often asks and that we've uh, discussed at length. And it is important to get comfortable with not knowing. And it is often part of the mystery of faith to be at ease and present in the moment, knowing that the future is often beyond our control. In my own walk, 
having been a high-flying corporate lawyer and an in-house attorney and you know doing deals with Wall Street guys and then losing everything, mm. I certainly know that the universe can deal out the unexpected. And I certainly know that I am not in control of everything that affects my destiny. So um, I'm very open to what, what, you know, God and the universe have to bring my way and I will do my best to be a good citizen in the face of whatever that is. Do you, so I, do you think, I, I guess, yes, I'm comfortable, but you know, I'm, okay. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm often uncomfortable in my, in my serenity, but I try to be serene as much as possible. Which is where we can grow being uncomfortable. You know, it's an important place. So do you, do you think that, that being present um, is an important part of uh, someone's journey of redemption? I mean, like you said, you know, being present, whether it's in the unknown, the uncertainty, uncomfortable how how important do you think that is in the the journey of redemption well i said something in the episode with annette scott the season finale that i'm sure my kids will tease me about because it's it sounds pretty funky woo woo but i said everything is in the breath Hmm. and i called the breath the gateway to spirituality and that is a short way of answering an emphatic yes to your question because I think that being present in the moment, it doesn't necessarily mean comfortable because there are moments that are uncomfortable. And I think you have to feel whatever it is you are feeling and experience whatever it is those feelings are. And many times the job is to lean into that experience, uh, uncomfortable as it may be, and respond accordingly with compassion, with grace, with dignity, with radiance, and um, try and be the best version of yourself that you are capable of. And that's how we do the work of criminal justice reform. And there's a lot about criminal justice reform that makes me very, very uncomfortable. There's a lot that makes me goddamn pissed off. Mm. And, And I think that there is an immense amount of injustice that's occurring in our society within the criminal justice system, particularly in jails and prisons. And I think that if other people, you know, just random citizens like me got the chance to see it up close and personal with their own eyes, as I did, they would be as aggravated as I am. Hmm. Remember remember the, you you might not be old enough, but there was um, uh, a movie I saw growing up and the the one of the famous quotes from it was, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's the kind of reaction that we need to have, I think we need to have when thinking about the criminal justice system, because we should be mad as hell. The system is not working. And as I've pointed out, I believe lawyers bear a special accountability to fix it, because it is lawyers who created it. It's lawyers who administer it. It's lawyers who write the rules, lawyers who defend it. Even well-meaning lawyers are often part of the system and doing the best they can to represent and advocate on behalf of their clients. They're not really making a change in the overall policy and organization of the resources in our society that needs to occur. So I'm not... 100% certain how it's all going to happen. I just know it needs to happen. And I want to do my part to call attention to the issues. 
I think the title of this um, particular episode should be Funky Woo Woo. Um, said it like two or three times. I love that. Uh, you kids might make fun of you, but I love that. Um, so, so, so this big, you know, behemoth of a criminal justice system that's, you know, in some ways uh, just woefully uh, broken. Uh, you know, w- with that in mind, do you think that this podcast is is making a difference? Is being a part of um, the undeniable change that's needed. You know, do you feel like you're helping create at least some of that change? I, I hope so. The feedback on the podcast has been incredibly positive, and I'm grateful to all the listeners and supporters and people who've commented and subscribed and people in my church, people in my community, people in the organizations I work with. People have told me on a good day that it's inspiring to them. And that's when I set out to do this work, that was my measure of success. I've been very active on social media. I have a website. You know, I'm, I, when I started this work, I didn't know what Twitter was. Now I'm tweeting like a fiend. So, you know, there are many means of outreach, but I'm not really that interested in chasing followers or you know, building up my stats, what I said to myself was, if I can help one person, then I'm pursuing the calling that has been set out for me and doing good work. So I do hope it's making a difference. Is it going to, is the podcast going to lead to overthrowing the criminal justice system? I, I doubt it. I think that we need a much greater movement than I am able to produce in one simple podcast. And by the way, there are many wonderful podcasts focused on the topic of criminal justice reform. So so mine is one of many, but I think it's important to create dialogue. And as I often say to people who ask me, how do they get involved and, and where do they plug in? I say, it starts around your dinner table. It starts around the water cooler at work. And during the pandemic, it starts on, you know, Zoom calls and, and other social media platforms, wherever it starts everywhere, we have to engage in this dialogue with the people we know, with the people who are in our social circles, with the people who we can influence. And then we should try and expand our circles and and push ourselves beyond our limited comfort zone. It's not that, as as Fentress Driscoll said in, in her, it's not that difficult to go out and find a legislator to talk to. I mean, they are very active in the community and they want our feedback and they work for us. And we can go gain audiences with elected leaders and community officials like Mary O'Connor, you asked about her. She, She gave me her cell phone. I mean, she's very approachable and she is interested in doing the right thing and hearing from the people that she's serving. And and we should give that feedback and we should demand justice. For sure. I mean, we think about all these uh, amazing, massive things that have happened in our society over the years, Civil Rights Act back in the 60s, you know, even, you know, say, for instance, a new affordable housing development that goes out here in downtown Tampa, you know, it's these big things. And yet it took, you know, many, 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 many small things, small actions, small commitments over time that allowed for those big things to happen. Um, so I, I I believe that you know this thing that is your podcast in this first season and seasons ahead is a part of that change. It is making a difference, um, and so I hope you have some confidence coming out of this first season that that is in fact the case. Um, so um, 
one thing I'm wondering what what was your what was your most fun part of this first season? What's the thing that you look back on and say that was a really really fun part of this first season of producing a podcast? Maybe something that you didn't even expect. So the technical aspects of producing a podcast were something that I did not think I would ever get involved in, and and when. I conceived of this uh, folks who I was talking to were like, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, it'll all take care of itself. And so I've learned a lot more about the intricacies and details of producing a podcast um, in terms of the, the back office editing process. When you think about a podcast, there sort of is a front end scheduling and producing and working with the guests and sort of conceiving the podcast and outlining it. Then there's the actual interviewing and sort of performance of the podcast itself in the moment. Then there's the back office editing to, to produce the, the final product of the podcast. And then there's the marketing and distribution of it. Each one of those is actually uh, a sub specialty unto itself. And um, I've had to learn how to do each and every one of those jobs. So it's been kind of fun learning the end to end solution, but I truly did not think that I would be doing um, all aspects of that myself when I started. So I just didn't think about it. I didn't know enough to think about it. And when, not if, but when I relaunch uh, with season two of the podcast, I will come into it with a little more informed basis to, to execute a plan to do the next season in, a, in an informed way. You know, the question was, what was the most fun part? I can't imagine that any of what you described was particularly fun, but I can also see how it was because uh, it was challenging. It's a new skill set and new experience. Um, I'm wondering if 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 I put you on the spot, Thad, and said, what's one word um, that best describes this podcast to someone who's never listened to this podcast? You can't say redemption either. So throw throw that one out. But what's, if there was one word that you had to say, hey, this best describe and sums up the podcast for someone who's never listened to it before, anything come to mind? Well, I would say effective because mm -hmm. I am very proud of the body of work that was produced. I love the podcast and, and, I, and I'm sorry if that didn't sound fun, but learning that end-to-end -end, uh, uh, system has been very fun and a very learning experience. And it's, it's pushed me outside my comfort zone and expanded my horizons. And, you know, I've learned how to do things that I never knew how to do before. And that is very illustrative of the journey of criminal justice reform. Criminal justice reform is hard work. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The issues are complex, the devil's in the details, and you really have to roll up your sleeves and get down and dirty with this work. So it's been a lot of fun, but I think that the one word is effective because if you look at the body of work that the guests and I have produced together, it's a very effective and, and reasonably systemic and compact. And I know this is long form uh, media and there, I think there are 16 episodes, you know, plus the beginning and the end, so 18 total, where you you know, have to devote some time to listen, but you could, you know, in your car, while you're working out, walking around, if you listen to each one of those episodes, you would have a pretty good and effective overview of what the criminal justice system is like and what some of the issues and solutions are that are needed. So there's certainly 
I mean, we can we can and will talk about criminal justice reform for years, but it's a pretty effective summary of you know one man's journey uh, seeking redemption. So I, I snuck like that. The, I snuck the redemption word in there. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> if, as long as it wasn't the word that you that you use, I was I was okay with it. Well, there was one more point, Evan. I might put it back to you on this one, but one thing I was considering in response to something you said earlier was the tension between working with individuals mm -hmm. versus working at the policy level. And I'm interested in doing both, frankly. I started out working with individuals, as has been mentioned throughout the podcast. In, in my case, it was mostly doing uh, homeless uh, ministry with men, but I wanted to work at a more policy level and that's where the podcast sort of started to, to fit in. And so that's been really fun to engage at a policy level also. But I do think it's important to do work at the grassroots level, locally in our own backyard, including on a one-on-one -on -one basis with individuals. And that's what we do at Love Inc. So you can get a little, a little plug for, uh, for our ministry work together there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely a necessity to have both covered, right? The, the individual, personal, one-on-one, -on -one, relationally focused work, um, along with the systems change. Because if the systems don't change, people still get stuck in the brokenness that historically they have been. And so at Love Inc., you know, we have an eye towards relationship in all that we do. And so being able to support folks, whether it's an individual person or a family, oftentimes, um, on their journey, you know, um, very personally, very relationally focused. We believe that's the answer um, for transforming lives, maybe one life at a time, uh, but, you know, not so different than your own commitment, um, especially through this redemption journey. Um, we believe that over time, more lives are changed and one life at a time can change an entire world. Um, and so being able to commit as an organization having amazing volunteers who will go the distance with folks who are trying to resolve some really big issues. Um, that That's what we're blessed to be part of. And again, we think that that leads to some pretty substantial transformation. And so in my own journey of criminal justice reform and in my work, you asked about my future, that's really where my thinking has come to rest at the moment. I can continue to do this work at the policy level, which is very important, and I will continue to do no matter what. But I also want to create the space to work individually, one-on-one -on -one with people whose lives can, can really be affected and, and be changed. And so that's a, a challenge to do both at the same time. So I may, sure. I may wind up you know, spending time in one area and then spending time in another, we'll see. I mean, you, 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 we need to, as best we can, in manageable ways, harness the experience of the one-on-one -on -one to scale so that then you can lead to and be part of system change. It it's, can be an uncomfortable balance between the two, uh, but this type of work is going to, no way around it, be uncomfortable um, because we're talking about upending systems, um, and that can be very messy um, taxing and stretch, stretching work, uh, but it's worth it at the end of the day, even if just one life at a time is being changed. So the message I would leave listeners with again is we can change the criminal justice system in our lifetimes, even if our role and contribution to supporting that change 
is by helping our neighbor, helping our family member, helping ourselves. If, you know, like me, you're a returning citizen to be the best versions of ourselves and to, to return to community, to live life in the best way that we are capable of as individuals. In the Love Inc. ministry model, we would say living life as God intended. And, Amen. and maybe that's a good way for us to end it. I, you know what? Thank you for having me here and being part of this, the end of season one. I hope you celebrate it. Um, I'd clap for you, but I don't know how the audio would take that. Uh, but it's an amazing first season, Thad. You've accomplished a lot just in this, but we're all looking forward to the seasons to come. So we will hold you to the not if, when uh, of season two. Well, thank you, Evan. Thank you for your amazing support of my walk in the journey to redemption. And I hope it's been a great experience for all the listeners. We're really uh, thankful and grateful for all of them for being with us. One listener says it has been. Thank you. That's me. (laughs) Thanks, Evan. Take care. Bye-bye.